Hello, I'm Glenn Hanna. I'm the missions pastor here at ACAC. And it has been my pleasure and delight to serve you for about 12 years in this capacity, and it has been the best time of my life. I have enjoyed every minute of it, and I thank you for allowing me to serve you in this way. Um, well, it's Missions Month. It's what we love, and it's part of who we are. Um, I'm known around here as a bit of a passionate guy, and uh, I can't help it. It's in my DNA. It just is the way I am. But I think it's in your spiritual DNA as well. If you are a born-again believer of Jesus Christ, which I assume many of you are, uh, you have it in your head and in your heart and in your experience, the best news on the planet. The absolute best news on the planet. And it's the only news on the planet that can deliver anybody from eternal terror. I know that's an unpopular thought, but it's true. Our theme for Missions Month this year, oh, by the way, hello, Fellowship 412, I miss you. Our theme for Missions Month this year, by the way, is take up the torch. And that's also going to be the theme of uh, this sermon as well. And I considered as a theme when I was putting this together that, well, it's, maybe it should be take up the flag. And the reason is I love that imagery of 19th century armies uh, marching into battle uh, beneath the banner, uh, behind the banner. It's a rallying place. It's a, it, is, it is the ensign of what they are doing and how they are going to fight the battle. And you can see the, the warriors leaning into a hail of lead and bullets, heading towards the enemy with the purpose of, of accomplishing some great cause. At great sacrifice, at great personal sacrifice and great loss. And I love that imagery because that's what we do, right? And guess what? We have the greatest cause in history. There's no other cause that is worth fighting for. There's no other cause that is worth sacrificing our life for. Uh, other than this, I mean, this is the big one, right? And it's very similar to what Jesus did. But I rejected that. We're not going to call it take up the flag. We're going to say take up the torch. Because it has the word torch in it. <laughs> and I like that. A torch... Makes us think about a burning fire, something burning deep in our heart, something uh, intense. And uh, that's the title of this sermon. But if you think about it, when you think about torches, you've heard of torch songs, right? Um, somebody's, somebody sings a torch song. It's about unrequited love or something. Hang, uh, hunger in the heart. And uh, it speaks of an intensity, an intensity of passion. And that's what I want to sort of focus on today. And um, we'll be exploring why we need to take up the torch. And, we're, and why those of us who are a little bit long in the tooth, people like me, need to pass the torch to the next generation. These are important things. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I don't presume to know anything. And I don't presume to have anything to say here. I earnestly ask that you would anoint the words that I'm going to say, that you would anoint the hearts of those who will hear, 
And Father, we, we invite you into this place. And we ask, Father, that you would move us, that you would inch us closer to a deep, passionate engagement, a uh, self-sacrificing engagement in this great commission of yours. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. So, you've heard of a guy named Aristotle. He was a Greek philosopher, lived a couple of years ago. And uh, he came up with something that he called the three elements or the three pillars of persuasive speech. And they are uh, logos, ethos, and pathos. Logos meaning um, logic or an appeal to the mind, an appeal to reasoning. Ethos, uh, an appeal to character or ethics. And pathos, an appeal to passion. And normally in, a, uh, in any kind of a persuasive argument, these things are kind of hidden. They're intentionally hidden and they're subtle. But my wife tells me that I'm as subtle as a 16-pound hammer. And uh, so we're going to forgo the subtlety. And I'm going to just tell you flat up, when we're talking about uh, logos and when we're talking about ethos and when we're talking about uh, pathos. And so we're going to start out with logos. And so it's going to be a reasoned argument about why missions matters. And we're going to start with a, uh, an interesting um, passage, probably a, an unlikely passage. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And I'm going to say this more than once tonight, today. Um, Acts was penned by a guy named Luke. He's the same one that wrote the, the gospel of Luke. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he said this, and speaking of Jesus, he said, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, the apostles, but also to more than 500 people and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I once heard somebody say, wouldn't you have liked to have been in on that seminar? He spoke, he was alive for 40 days, and he spoke on the kingdom of God, and yet there's hardly anything written about this. These are not new thoughts, by the way. Um, we know that he had a number of meetings with various people, Cleopas on the road to Emmaus with his buddy and Mary Magdalene, and he had breakfast with Peter on the beach. And... Uh, there were a number of interactions that he had, but nobody thought to take notes. Here's Christ risen from the dead. This is God. He's convincing proofs that he is God, and he's speaking about the kingdom of God, and nobody wrote it down. Right? How is that possible? How is that even possible? I don't think that Christ was giving eight-hour lectures on the kingdom of God. But it's 40 days. There must have been quite a bit he was saying. And it had to have been significant. There's just so little written. And why is that? Well, every one of the gospel writers did record something. And it has a theme to it. Every one of them. You're, you're familiar with the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28, 18. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Well, that's the Great Commission, right? Well, we have variations of that in all four of the other Gospels. In Mark, I love this one. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. 
And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and they will drink anything. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will be healed. They will recover. And by the way, this still happens. All this stuff still happens. And it happens especially on the mission field. I have to tell you when I say this very humbly, I've seen it happen through my own hands. And I've seen it happen many times in many places that miraculous things take place with, with the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the reason we are given the power of God. Sorry. Luke chapter 24, verse 47, there's another one. It says, repentance of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Now, now we're not talking about nation states. These are not uh, geopolitical entities that he's talking about. These are sociolinguistic groups. They are ethnos. The, the word is ethnos. Ethnicities. Think of them that way. Or, by the way, you can think of it this way. In our country, we have many nations. We do. We have the Iroquois. We have the Cherokee. There are Odawa nations. They're all nations. They are distinct people groups with their own languages. And this is what he's talking about, every tribe, tongue, and nationality, right? Um, anyhow, and you are my witnesses to these things. In John 20, 21, again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And we'll open this up a little bit, um, in, in a little bit here. And in Acts 1, 8... This is one, by the way, we as the Christian and, Mer and Missionary Alliance, we call ourselves, we're an Acts 1-8 family. And there's an interesting reason for that. It's because when you are filled with power from on high, you will be my witnesses. The filling is for the witness. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the very ends of the earth. And even before this, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God in Matthew 24, 14, when he was doing a dissertation on the end times, he, he tucked this in here. And he said, this kingdom or this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. And what that means is the whole globe. Now, he didn't talk about the globe back then. But what it means is on every land, every bit of land, all the land masses of the earth as evidence to all Nations, again, it's ethnicities, and then the end will come. So you ask, why didn't anybody write down what Jesus talked about? It would have been a good book. Uh, a guy named Bob is listening to Jesus talk about the, um, the kingdom of God in those 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. He could have put his name on it. The book of Bob, the sayings of Jesus between the resurrection and the ascension. Um, Peter didn't do it. Nobody did it. But I think they did write it down. And they wrote it down in this way, in these statements that are tucked into every single one of the Gospels and, and also in Acts. And this is why I think that the first one that we think of is John. Uh, Jesus showed up. He's still got the wounds in his hand, right? He's got holes in his hands. He's got a, a pierced side. No doubt he had tears in his skin from, on his head from the crown of thorns. His back was probably still plowed open from the scourging that he received. And he stood in front of them and he said, 
bloody, maybe crusted blood in his hair. And he said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Like this. I'm sending you. It's costly. But that was in the upper room on the very same day that he resurrected from the dead. He was resurrected in the morning. And this evening, he showed up in, the, in an upper room with the 11. And he said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. The next one was in Matthew 28, 18. It was on a mountain in Galilee. That's a different time. Christ said something about going into all the world on a second time. Mark, it could be construed that this is the same instance as John wrote about on the day that he resurrected in the upper room. But it might not be because immediately afterwards, Mark says uh, he was taken up into heaven. So it could be later. We don't know the timing of this, but there are at least two that we know of. And Luke records his on the road to Bethany. And we know that um, it happened again in Acts 1.8. So this is what Christ talked about. For 40 days, he was walking around talking about the kingdom of God to his Jewish disciples. And he was saying to them, go into all the world. Look, I'm God. Look, I'm here. I've proven that I'm God. Take this news to the whole world. It's not a kingdom of Israel. It's not a kingdom of the Jews. It's for the whole earth. Everybody on the earth has, has access to this gospel, this salvation that I've provided. Go tell everybody. And that's what he said over and over. Go, go, go. Tell everybody. Tell every ethnicity. Tell everything. That's what he talked about. That's why we don't need a book to know what he was saying about the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of God. His kingdom is a global kingdom. Sorry, I'm not angry. My wife says smile because people think you're mad. I'm not mad. I'm really not. So don't think I'm mad. Okay. All right, so sledgehammer time. Ethos. We're going to talk about ethos. Um, what is the ethic, the character, the guiding ethic behind uh, why we do missions? And an ethos, I have a definition here, I think. It's the, it's the characteristic spirit of a culture, an era, or a community as manifested in its beliefs and aspirations. And so you might think about a warrior culture. What is an ethos of a warrior culture, right? It's strength. It's honor. It's bravery. It's uh, a willingness to sacrifice and die for the tribe or for the, the nation, Right? We had a guiding ethic in my family. It was honesty. It, it, was, it couldn't be missed. Um, I, it was preached to me when I was a kid, and I preached it to my kids when they were growing up. It's honesty. A man is only as good as his word. A man's word is his bond. There was another one. It was hard work. And ethos was hard work. Hannah's work harder than anybody else. I couldn't escape it. I had to do it. You probably have them in your own home. They might be the same ones. Um, well, we also have an ethic here at ACAC. We have a number of them. One of them is diversity. It's an ethic. It's, one of the, it's the way we think about ourselves. Um, somebody coming in here for the first time looking around is going to look around, and they're going to see somebody looks different than me. Why? It's because it's our ethos. It's a defining characteristic of who we are. We think of ourselves as a diverse congregation of people who are living in unity. We value diversity and we work hard to preserve it. 
and it's obvious. Another is compassion for the poor and the outcasts in our neighborhoods. Do you know that we've partnered with many different organizations here on the north side of Pittsburgh? And we have founded, we have started or incubated many original endeavors to be able to minister to the poor. Years ago, there was the Northside Christian Health Center that was sort of incubated in some ways through this congregation. Um, there's also the Urban Impact Foundation. We saw a video about that a little bit earlier. Uh, there's the kayak. We just started a Christian Immigration Advocacy Center. It's a legal, it's a not-for-profit legal system to be able to provide legal help for immigrants and refugees uh, for almost no cost at all. And most recently, the Nest. We started another one. It just happened this year. Um, why do we do this? Why do we do this? And other, a lot of ch other churches don't do anything like this. It's our ethos. It's how we think about ourselves. These are passions born out of our ethos. We see a need and we decide we must do something about it. That's who we are. It's our ethic. Well, we have another ethic. It's missions. The CNMA started out as a missions organization. That's really true. A.B. Simpson, our founder, he, well, you, you might know the story. He, he resigned from his position at a prominent church. But one of the things he did is he started a prayer meeting on Sunday afternoons where he invited missions passionate people to come on Sunday afternoons and pray about the dearth of missionaries in the world. And they prayed. And the more they prayed, the more passionate they got. The more they fell in love with the world, the more they fell in love with the lost people that God had already died for. Now, these were groupings of other people from other denominations. There were holiness people from the recent holiness movement. There were Lutherans and Presbyterians and Methodists and Episcopalians. And they got together, and that was the beginning of the Missions Alliance. That was the beginnings of who we are as a denomination and a church. It was missions. A.B. Simpson preached passionate messages about the lost and referred to the lack of missionaries as an emergency. This is back in the 1800s, 1880s. It's an emergency. Back then, he was lamenting the fact that there were 700 million people on the planet who were unreached, who couldn't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if they were begging to because there was no one to tell them about it. There was no access whatsoever. Today, it's three billion it's, the need is not less. It is multiplied many times. We need more. He referred to the lack of missionaries as a crisis, and he challenged, he challenged every time he had an opportunity to talk about missions. He appealed in the strongest terms the need to do missions, to, to care for those who are being lost. And, he, and in the 1912, right around the time that the Titanic sank, uh, it was a contemporary uh, event. And you know the story. It was an unsinkable ship, hit a, an iceberg in the North Atlantic, and they didn't have enough light bo lifeboats on the boat because, on the ship, because they, um, it was unsinkable. <laughs> they, they didn't need lifeboats. Well, they did need lifeboats, 
And they decided that the way they would distribute or decide who was going to get into the lifeboats since they didn't have nearly enough is they thought, well, the people that paid the most for their tickets would get into the lifeboats. And so the wealthiest people, the snootiest people, the people with the most means who had been able to buy uh, tickets on this great adventure across the ocean, they're the ones that got in the boat. They were let down in their lifeboats while all the other people in steerage and that had lesser tickets that they paid for. Hope you can swim. And these people in the lifeboats, they're warm, they're safe, they're dry, and they're rowing amidst the screams and the shrieks of the dying. And they had to stop their ears. Rather than sacrificing for them, maybe giving up my life for this pregnant woman or something. No, don't want to hear the cries of the dying. And he compared that to the church in his day. That the church is warm and comfortable. We're in the lifeboats. We're cool. And we have stopped our ears to the shrieking cries of those can I be a little graphic? Who are being dragged in terror into an eternal separation from their God, the God that loved them, the God that paid his pri- the price for their sins, the God that gave up his own life so that they could, he could have a relationship with them and welcome them into eternal life. And they're shrieking in terror at the moment of their death knowing what awaits them. Only because nobody has told them that there's a Redeemer. Only because they don't know. Nobody has gone to the the difficulty, to the effort to tell them, God loves you. And out of this intense awareness of the lostness of humankind was born the Christian and Missionary Alliance. That's our, eth- that's our ethos. That's our ethic. That's who we are. That's how we define ourselves. And that year in 1884, the CNMA sent out their first five missionaries. And, and there's the past alliance president, D.L.L. King. I think we have a quote of him here. He said of the Christian and Missionary Alliance that it was not established as a mission divorced from the normal activity of the church but a church which had within it the life and function of a mission. The mission came first and the church grew out of the mission. Since then, many thousands of missionaries have been sent all across this planet by this great organization. The late great missiologist Ralph Winters, considered by some the greatest missiologist of all time, certainly of the 20th century, and I agree with that. He said, the Christian and Missionary Alliance is the only missions agency that has successfully planted mission-sending churches overseas. That's a big statement. Of all the missions activities that are happening, the CNMA, at least when he said this, was the only one who has successfully planted reproducing churches in, in other countries. And that's the goal. That is the strategy of the CNMA, and that's the goal that Jesus had. 
is planting churches. It's not just digging wells. That's important. It's not just going and, and providing medical care. That's important. The goal is having a witnessing congregation in every nation, every, every place that everybody has access to. The passion of the Christian and Missionary Alliance is to take the gospel to the whole world, to those who have not yet heard that Jesus died and rose again for them. And the fulfillment of the Great Commission is the reason that we exist. And I want to take a moment to talk to you youngsters, <laughs> those 40 and lower. <laughs> youngsters to me. It's been said of you that you don't want to give to a fund. You want to be able to give to people. To pe and so do I. My wife and I give to people. We give to our own son who's a missionary overseas. We give to many people and people that we love and we've fallen in love with for the work that they're doing. But you don't want to give to a fund. It's too impersonal. I want to point you to, this, to the generations of people who have gone before you in the Christian and Missionary Alliance who have sacrificed greatly, who have given greatly, who have sold their own personal possessions to acquire funds to be able to put into the Great Commission Fund so that people could be sent overseas, so that other people could have access to this gospel. They're leaving us, by the way. We're dying. We're getting old. And those, those prayer warriors, we know many of them. We lost some of them this year who prayed diligently, who prayed feverishly for lost souls across this planet have gone to their reward. Who's going to pick up, who's going to take up this torch? Think of the fruit. We send 700 missionaries in the Alliance out across this globe, and look what it's accomplished. Look at the millions who have been impacted by this. That right now, since 1884 to now, uh, the, the membership of the Alliance globally is over 6 million people, but we have less than a million here in the United States. That's because we've planted so many church overseas, and they're all reproducing. Look at the impact that this Great Commission Fund has had. It's enormous. It is huge. You can give to missions here at ACAC and to the Great Commission Fund, and not only does it support the people that we send out from here, and we're a pretty large church. We have the resources, and uh, those of you who are familiar with our missions committee, we give away a lot of money to be able to support missions. And we're able to do that for people in our church. But what about some young woman, some young man, up in Horse Jaw, Wisconsin, who belongs to a church of 30 people and, and is in a very rural community and has very little access to, to raise funds and could never go to the mission field if they didn't have some sort of support. When you give money into the Great Commission Fund or into ACAC missions, it goes into that pool of money and we take money out of that and it goes to support that person who may be leading tens of thousands of people to Christ in a lifetime. It works. It's worth thinking about. You, the next generation, will you take up this great torch? I hope you can hear me challenging you. I'm trying to persuade you. This is ethos. Will you take on this ethic that has driven this alliance for nearly 140 years? I beg with you, as Paul the Apostle would beg with you, please do it. Take up this mantle. Take up this obligation. Assume this ethos on yourself. 
I challenge you to walk in this glorious path that so many over the last 140 years have walked before you. A willingness to sacrifice deeply for the lost souls, the, the people across the planet that cannot hear. Take up this torch. Pathos, passion. So you say to me, ah, oh, Pastor Glenn, does passion really matter? Aren't we Christians? Aren't we Stoics? We know the law. We know the prophets. We can look down our noses of theology. Does passion really matter? Well, let's look at Paul. Paul was one of the most passionate guys I know of. Um, he was a nut. Do you realize he got stoned to death and then he got, got up and walked back into the city? Isn't that amazing? He went back in. But look, listen to what he said in Romans 12:1, and listen to the language he uses. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We were worshiping earlier. We raised our hands in, in worship of our God. Giving your body, giving of your life, your time, your substance, everything you are is worship. It is worship. It is the means by which we worship God. David said, I won't bring a sacrifice to God that doesn't cost me anything. Romans 9, 1 through 3. And just listen to this. Try to get this in your head, what he's saying here. He, he actually appeals to Christ as a witness of what he's saying is true. And then he appeals to the Holy Spirit to verify it through his own conscience. It's Romans 9, 1 through 3. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed, that I could give up my own salvation and be cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, Israel. <laughs> really? I've never had that thought. It's never occurred to me that I would give up my own salvation for you. Paul said to Timothy, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift that was imparted to you through the laying on of my hands. That really means fan it into flames, fan it into burning embers in your heart. It's because of the passion of God that you're sitting here today. It's because of the passion of God, the loving kindness of God, that your sins are forgiven. And just as Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Who wants to live without passion? Seriously, why would anyone want to live without passion? No energy. Nothing that moves you. Moving from one experience or one distraction to the next, forgetting the last and looking for the next. And I don't want to criticize anybody here, but there are more important things to live for. Counselors rightly say to people, people that are depressed, they'll say, think of something. Think of something that is worth living for and concentrate on that. Let your mind dwell on 
on things that are that are um, good and that would are valuable to you. And I, that's great. It's great counsel. It's exactly the right counsel to give to somebody that's depressed. But I like to say to people, what are you worth? What are you willing to die for? What are you so passionate about that you're willing to give your life to see it advanced? What are you so passionate about that you would give your body as a living sacrifice? Ha, now there's passion. This is a little side point. I don't know if I have time or not. I'm going to say it anyhow. When COVID broke out here, and I've told this story before, when COVID broke out here, I was calling missionaries. I was saying, do you need to come back from the field? Are you concerned? My son's a missionary. I said, do you want to come back? And he said, he said, Dad, there's a famine going on. There's a swarm of locusts coming in from Ethiopia. There's civil unrest. There's murderers every day. There's cross-border kidnappings. There's a drought. COVID is the least of my concerns. I was talking to a young woman who is at Bongalo Hospital. Some of you may know her, Izzy Elliott. She said to me, we came here to be a light in the darkness. Should we leave because the darkness is getting darker? And I got to tell you, everybody who was home, every missionary who was home and was, was not in the country where they were serving, they were all aching to get back in country. They couldn't wait to get back. They were anxious about the fact that they might miss the last plane out that was going to where they wanted to go serve God and the people that they loved. Sorry. Here's something to be passionate about. How about, a, how about a young woman starving to death with her little baby, trying to give that baby away to anybody that will take the baby in the hopes that maybe somebody will feed that baby while she goes and lays down and dies starving to death? Or how about a mother that just had a baby with a birth defect and instead of being allowed to nurture that baby, the shaman comes by and says, you must kill this baby because he's going to be a curse on our village. For superstition, for no other reason than empty superstition and fear of demons and a hundred other things. How about the 44,000 people who are going to die today at the end of a disappointing life facing terror of an eternity without Christ? What was Christ passionate about? Was it only you? Was it only me? John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whomsoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone needs to hear these words. Everyone on the planet needs to hear these words. A.B. Simpson said, what a crime it is that this world should go yet one more hour without hearing this grace of God, without hearing this beautiful news of salvation. Christ is their savior as well as yours. How cruel it is that millions will die this year having never had the, re the opportunity to respond to the grace of God. Mother Teresa is a legitimate hero. She really is. She sacrificed everything to bring hope and love 
to some of the most desperate and hopeless people on the planet. Do we have that picture that I had sent? I don't know. This is a disturbing picture. There it is. I don't know whether you can see it. My son is actually in the background there with my granddaughter. These two boys, they're maybe 10 years old, might be 11 or 12. They're street boys. They've been rejected by their mother because she was rejected by their father. Their mother was probably married to this older man, a much older man when she was 12 or 13 years old because he showed up with two cows and she was sold into marriage to, to this old guy who probably had 30 plus other wives whom he was neglecting and wasn't caring for, wasn't providing for. And he used her, produced a couple of kids, and then these kids get thrown out into the street. They're throwaways. This may be what they're eating there. I guess you can't see it. That bowl of food, my son and his family shared some of their food with these kids. They do that. There's, there's a drought and famine going on. And so they bring people in to share some of their food. They're all skinny as rails because they don't get enough to eat either. But this may be the first food that they've received, adequate amounts of food in weeks, maybe months. Nobody cares about them. Nobody sees them. People ignore them. They walk past them. Nobody loves them. A 10-year-old kid, can you imagine never having been tenderly cared for? Have you ever been desperate, hopeless? Do you remember the first day that Christ lifted your burdens? Do you remember that first rush of hope when in your desperation and your sin and your rejection and your shame, you thought there might be a God who will accept me? He might forgive me. Do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember when you first laid your burden at the very feet of Christ? Don't you want that for every aching heart on the planet? Mother Teresa was a hero, and we need a thousand million more of them, just like her. The people who supported Mother Teresa were also heroes. What are you passionate about? What is worth giving your life and your treasure for? As desperate as these kids are, their greatest need is not food. It's a savior. They need a savior. A savior that will bring them life and that more abundantly. A savior that will bring them joy unspeakable. A savior that will carry their burdens with graces immeasurable who will meet all of their needs according to his riches and glory. Can you see them? Like Paul, I plead with you, please live up to this glorious legacy that you have been given. The CNMA has a beautiful track record, has a glorious track record. And you young people, I, I challenge you, do better than we have done. You can do better than we have done. For the first time in the history of the planet, you can be anywhere on this earth in about two days. That's amazing. You can talk to anybody anywhere on the planet instantly. You can have an instant conversation with them. This whole planet is within your grasp. I pray that you will be the generation 
that ushers in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Christ has promised that it will happen. The impossible is a certainty. It will be done because Christ has ordained it. And so I challenge you to please take up the torch. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that this church will be more than it's ever been in the past. I pray that this church in particular, where uh, we have chosen to fellowship, to make loving, lifelong friendships. Father, I pray that we will be a miraculous tool in your hand. I pray that you would use us to impact this globe, that we would see hundreds and thousands and millions come to the knowledge of Christ because of our faithfulness and our devotion. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Hello, church family. It's Pastor Allen here with your weekly announcements. Starting the weekend of May 15th and 16th, we will be changing our service times. Join us Saturdays at 6 p.m. and then Sundays at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Stay tuned for more information on how ministries will be adjusted. We are excited to host a simulcast of the event Work as Worship on Friday, May 14th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Join thousands of Christian business professionals and church leaders across the country for a live stream event to hear how to connect faith and work. Speakers include Louis Giglio, John Acuff, Dr. Henry Cloud, and many more. Registration is $50 and lunch will be offered for an additional fee. Go to www.acac.net slash events to sign up and learn more. Wednesday, May 5th is the first Wednesday of the month and we want to invite you to join us for our monthly evening of prayer on May 5th at 7 p.m. This time of prayer will be held in person only, so if you would like to join us, please go to our ACAC Life page on the website and register now. You can also find the list of prayer topics and related scriptures for that evening if you would like to join us in praying at home. Hey, young adults, join us for our college and career kickoff event Saturday, May 22nd. This evening starts with Saturday service at 6 p.m. to be immediately followed by a cookout at 7.15 p.m. on the Union Place deck. Don't forget to invite your friends. We are hiring for summer day camp teachers. If you or someone you know needs a summer job and wants to make a difference in the spiritual lives of children, please go to www.acac.net slash employment to apply. As always, we are so appreciative of your faithful giving as we continue to gather in person and begin to open ministries back up your gifts and obedience to the Lord allow us to impact lives for Christ. As a reminder, there's three ways to give. You can mail your check to the church, give online at acac.net slash give, or text ACACPGH to 73256. Thank you for joining us and have a great week. 
If you brought your offerings with you today, you can deposit them at any of the offering boxes on your way out the door. Also, if you recall at the beginning of the service, we watched an Urban Impact video uh, regarding Man Up. It is happening this year, and fellas, you can participate in two different ways, in person on June 12th or online June 19th. We actually have a card that we'll be handing out to you on our way out today. Registrations are open now. I encourage you to do it now because they've extended early bird registration, so you get a bit of a discount if you do that now. Um, we do have a home going to announce today. Um, Marshall Nibs Sr. passed away um, on April 28th. He is the husband of our very own star, Tucker Nibs. Many of you know Star, I'm sure. Uh, Marshall actually resided in South Africa, so I don't know anything about any arrangements. But if you would, please keep Star in your prayers as she grieves the loss of Marshall this week. Also, our prayer room is open tonight. If you have a prayer need, don't go home without having someone pray for you. It's down in the, down the hallway to the left where, where it usually is. And that's all I have for you. Would you please stand for the benediction? As you go today, and as we wrap up Missions Month here at ACAC, the 2021 version, Please remember the Lord's command to make disciples because it's his desire that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And what I'd like to do today is leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 10. But how can they call on the name of Jesus to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they'd never even heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone goes to tell them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. Have a great week serving the king.